0: Hi, I'm Kate Fairweather, and this is Disaster Tales, and this is the second episode in my collaboration with Lindsay Wilson at Home on the Strange, and Lindsay's here. Hi, Lindsay.
1: Hey, Katie. What's up?
0: Oh, nothing. We're just getting ready to get into everything that ran up to the siege at Waco. And then in our third episode, which we're both going to post... We will go ahead and talk about the actual siege and the bullets flying and all that fun stuff.
1: Yep. Uh, Part one, which is going to be on my feed, uh, we covered the creation of the Branch Davidians and the rise of Vernon Howell slash David Koresh. And so this is this is kind of after he's already in power, covering all the way up. Until the beginning of the siege, right? Right. Okay.
0: So we'll go ahead and start talking about the ATF and what they started doing.
1: Well, I'm excited. Let's go. All right. You can still hear me, right? Yes, I can. Okay. Okay. I don't have to reset it then. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. All right. Let me get to my list. <laughs> oh, you're good. I'm already there. Oh, good. But, but yeah, no. So this this uh, Christian conditionalism. It's like there's a conditional immortality. Like you have to be quote unquote good enough to be immortal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. And
0: then and, and I know the Baptists believe that, you <clears throat> once you're saved, you're guaranteed.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. and Catholics, no. you have as to kind as... of work your way up there. Well, like for us, it's like, you know, you can, for, for Baptists, you can be a rapist. You can be a child molester. But as long as right. you accept Jesus and you ask for forgiveness, Jesus will forgive you and you'll go to heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. So you just save it till the last minute.
1: Yup. doke So dumb. I hated it. <laughs> That's why I left. <laughs> Uh, it's so depressing.
0: <laughs> well, welcome to Disaster Tales. We've been talking yeah. about the siege at Waco, the Branch Davidian raid, back in mm-hmm. 1993, and right. I'm with...
1: well. We we talked about the history right. first. Now we're going to talk about the raid. The raid,
0: yeah. So I'm with Lindsay <laughs> Wilson with Home on the Strange podcast. Hey, and you know this is fitting because I'm a disaster, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think sometimes we all are, oh. <laughs> but yeah, we 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 talk about disasters and the issues that create them and surround
1: them, and this oh, was yeah.
0: definitely a disaster: the Branch Davidian raid at Waco.
1: Oh, yeah, and don't forget to catch part one on our podcast because we talked about what led up to this, and it's some weird stuff because our podcast covers paranormal. We mostly do history, but we cover the – like we pick a paranormal topic, and then we cover the history surrounding that topic, and we talk about the topic itself. So it's really fun. It's more of a fact-based thing. Mm-hmm. Um and we actually just did an episode on Lubbock Lights, and like I said, we kind of go over uh, how Crush gained power and what they believed and all the weirdness there it before was, the rain. That's right. The religious twists and
0: turns in that story is something that you need to go right now and listen
1: to and then come back and talk to us. Yeah, because this won't make sense unless you listen to that one. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. So what wake what happened
0: at waco was there was a group called the branch davidian they came from the seventh day adventists originally and they were being run basically by david koresh who thought he was the next coming of jesus christ he thought he was the messiah and yeah, the lamb of god he, and he had some very strange and twisted beliefs which included <laughs> him being able to marry 12 year olds and father as many children as he possibly could and mm-hmm. so yeah it, it, it was a very strange thing that was going on there and one of the other things that happened though is they they were real true doomsday preppers because they had lots of weapons they had they had rifles. They had automatic weapons. They had, like, anti-tank weapons, things like that. And they had, and tons and tons of it. And
1: so, yeah, we'll be getting into that in just a second. I want to start. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay. I, w- I just wanted to jump in. Not only did he think he could uh, be marrying and sleeping with 12-year-olds, well, raping 12-year-olds, but he, he also made it a rule, and I forgot to mention this in the last episode, but you're learning about it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told all the other men that they couldn't have sex, like they had to be celibate, and he was the only one that could have sex because he had to create the 24 right. for the 24 thrones the around 24 God, children, so. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yep, and so, so he had the rights to any
0: woman, and none of uh-huh. the other men had any rights at all.
1: Right, and pretty much the men were just there to be soldiers for their little uh, war siege thing they're about to do. Yeah, and they were very
0: well trained soldiers and very well-armed.
1: well armed. But let's right. Go... This is Texas, so I mean, if you ain't good with a gun, you got a problem. That's right. So I mean, even I <laughs>
0: learned how to shoot when I got here. So
1: um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, I spent some time in Washington, Alaska, but I grew up here, and we've always shot guns. Mm-hmm. So I was raised around them. But... Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was too. I grew up in New York, but everybody hunted up there in Mm -hmm, upstate mm -hmm. in the small towns so that they could have food for the winter. Yeah. And there's, and one of the biggest militias in the country is in upstate New York, by the way. One of the biggest, yeah. (laughs) Which one? I don't remember the name of it, but I know that Michigan has one, the Michigan militia. Texas Uh has the Republic of Texas, doesn't it?
1: Isn't that what it's called? I... I don't know. I'm not a white supremacist, um. <laughs> but if you were, you would know that. Right. So, right. No. So
0: and basically, that's what we have here. But let's is go it the Liberty Liberty
1: State Militia. Okay, there you go. Chenango, New York yep. community yep. organization. Yep. Shenango. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Okay. Well, thank you. Sorry. No, no problem. Now I know.
0: Now I know where <laughs> my brother in law is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, no, oh, that's good. not right. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> what happened at Waco was, if you're a white supremacist doomsday prepper, everything that you are preparing for is what happened at Waco. Mm-hmm. So when the government came in and tried to take their guns like they were talked about and all of this, so the, the, it played right into their hands. But let's go back to August 21st, 1992, and that's when the FBI tried to raid the Weaver's Farm in Idaho
1: it's at Ruby Ridge uh, i I mean, I don't remember this, but I have heard about this a lot. Tab. The FBI came on
0: their property because they heard that they had a lot of weapons.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And one and the story is now, of course, it's different from dependent on who's telling it, but the story basically is that one of the FBI guys shot a dog. And Weaver's son and his uncle were out hunting with the dog, and when they shot the dog, the son tried—at uh, least he aimed at the FBI. The FBI guy shot the son and killed him, and the uncle ran back to the house and told Randy Weaver that the there was people with guns coming, and so mm-hmm. he got um he got ready and they started shooting at them as they came and the FBI started shooting at them and I know that one of the bullets went through the doorway and hit his wife and the baby that she was holding and mm-hmm. so there was just a lot of blood and and bullets flying uh, everywhere it was really confusing and after a short siege they took
1: Randy Weaver to, to court so mm-hmm. so like his son like, I was, I just kind of Googled it real quick. Mm-hmm. So, like, apparently um, they killed the dog. Mm-hmm. And then well, you had already said that. And then they shot the son. But they didn't just shoot the son. They shot him in the back and killed him. So he was running away. right? Which, I don't know, there's some things extremely egregious just about that, if you ask me. But apparently, like, um, from what I remember, um, they weren't just, like randomly pursuing a weapons charge so they wanted him to be an informant on this white supremacist group or white separatist group he was a part of Mm -hmm. and he refused and then that's when they're like well fine we're just going to get you in trouble too and then that way you don't have a choice but to be an informant for us and then they ended up killing his family right (laughs) yep and so that's what
0: that is what the doomsday preppers are prepping for the government coming on
1: their property, killing their people, stealing their guns. Right. I mean, not that, not that you know. Okay. So I live in Texas, and race race relations here are pretty, pretty uh, iffy. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. So a lot of a lot of our militia stuff is a lot of white nationalists or white separatists, a lot of racists. Um, so they're not great people, but at the same time, they do have constitutional rights in the state and federally. And what the government did is not any better than what these people are doing. Exactly. You know, Mm -hmm. like, and I mean, not saying like, not saying I'm one of these doomsday preppers, but you're exactly right when you say that Ruby Ridge and Waco are exactly where they're getting these paranoias from, because it happened. Mm -hmm. The government overstepped. That's (laughs) it. That's right. Mm -hmm. So
0: what was going on in Waco in the meantime was Mm -hmm. that, David Koresh had all these guns and they had reports that there was, that he was abusing children, that he was, the report said he was sleeping with children as young as 12 years old. And he supposedly beat a child that was eight months old. (gasps) Yeah. So, and, but that was, that was, I don't know if that was ever verified or not. They did finally send somebody in from, um child protective services and he gave her the the tour and he he talked to her while they rounded up all the children and put away all the guns and hit them and then he took her around and showed her everything and he took her to this room where there was a a, a stairway down underneath and he showed his flashlight down there mm-hmm. and he says come on down here and w- they went down these stairs into a bus that had been buried underground and that, <laughs> and that bus, they were using as an underground shooting range, so nobody would know that they were practicing.
1: Wow. So, That's insane. So she came back and reported that. Yeah. And... <laughs> I mean, like, is the door locked? Do children have access to that? Or... Right. And that, and that was what she wanted That's to her know. That's her job. Right. Yeah, that was her job. And, but, and I mean... She kept like, asking where the guns were, and he wouldn't tell her. Well, of course not. I mean... Um, but no, like, so, cause I mean, if he had to tell her one, he'd pretty much give away, like, we have all of these guns. Cause she'd be like, well, why do you have an automatic weapon? Right.
0: <laughs> you know? Why do you have uh, 200 automatic weapons?
1: Right. And like, um, you know, I, I did watch an actual TV interview with Koresh where they had asked him, you know, about that incident with the spanking. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's like, look, I have never beaten my child. And then he went on to say about how he was abused as a child and that he whoops his children, but he don't beat his children. But, I mean, we know how people are in that cycle. And to them, it's not as bad as what, like, their perception of the abuse isn't as bad as what it actually is. Right. So to him, whooping might be beating that child. Right. That's right. So, but I mean, this interview was post that CPS. So he kept saying like, I wasn't found of any wrongdoing and blah, blah, blah. blah. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I know my mom, like she never really spanked us and stuff, but like, I know she got whooped as a kid or what she would call being whooped, but mm-hmm. we knew she was beat. you know, yeah. <laughs> cause it was the eighties, like seventies,
0: eighties, you know? Right. And, and my parents, you know, their parents would say, go out and find a switch that I can whoop you with. And they'd go out yeah, and no. try and find that was not so skinny that it would sting real bad, but not so big that it would leave big welts. So they mm-hmm. had to
1: cut their own sticks. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, because, like, uh, I, I'll i just be real on it. Like, between you and me, I'll, we can cut this out. But, like, my mom's ex-husband's in jail for what he did, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Like, uh, he's in Snohomish County. But, like, I mean, it was, like... I know for a fact that abusers don't think that what they're doing is as wrong as what it is. So if someone says he was abusing these children, I believe them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. I do. So whatever. So this was all
0: going around town. And the, the, the newspaper, the Waco Tribune Herald, was getting really frustrated with the fact that this was going on and the police weren't doing anything. The sheriff's department wasn't doing anything about it. So they oh. started doing research and ended up in May of 1992 publishing or begin to investigate the reports of child abuse at the Branch Davidian compound. And mm-hmm. they're going to publish it eventually in multiple parts. And the, the, the entire article is going to be called The Sinful Messiah. about.
1: Oh, and it, it was really good. I really appreciated you sending that to me. Mm-hmm. Uh Uh, Is there any way we can include the link in the episode notes? We probably can. Awesome. (laughs) That'd be good. Cool. I just think everyone needs to read it. It's good.
0: Yeah, it is. So So while they were doing this um, research at the paper, a recorder called the assistant U.S. attorney in the area, Bill Johnson, and asked what constitutes an illegal firearm. And Johnson was like, well, why do you want to know? And so when he finds out about this, he calls the ATF to notify them of the possibility that there are illegal weapons at that compound.
1: So now the bigwigs are
0: involved. That's right. Now the ATF is starting to get, get the scent.
1: Uh huh.
0: And then in May in 1992, which is obviously before the attorney. Um,
1: oh, so this, okay, so we're going back around yeah, the time that the investigative report was made. Was, yeah. Okay. A UPS driver. Um,
0: finds a broken package in his in his truck that has suspicious materials. Addressed to the compound. Yes. Okay. And it and I think what it was was like some um, empty hand grenades mm-hmm. and some uh, and some artillery um, bullets and black powder and things like that.
1: I I'd be concerned. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So Ooh, so that poor UPS. He doesn't get paid enough for that. I know.
0: <laughs> and, and they were yeah they were they were pretty frequently making deliveries to this compound. Mm-hmm. So the ATF started an intensive investigation that centered on Koresh, and the Davidians David Koresh, uh, being involved in the illegal manufacture and possession of machine guns. And the illegal manufacture and possession of destructive devices, like bombs and grenades, because they filled the mm-hmm. grenades and made them live.
1: Oh my goodness! And they
0: were taking semi-automatic weapons and converting them into automatic weapons.
1: Oh, that's okay. Like Texas loves their guns, but that's a big no-no.
0: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's
1: a big no-no. I mean, no-no. if you if it's if you can't
0: shoot a deer with it because it'll blow it up, then <laughs> t- I don't, I don't <laughs> see any point, you know. <laughs>
1: Sorry. I mean, I'm familiar with deer hunting, so that just made me giggle thinking about (laughs) Oh, The poor Bambi. I know. That would be a totally different movie if they had an automatic weapon.
0: (laughs) Poor Bambi, his mother died right in front of him, and then he had an absent father. Right.
1: And if... And if it was an automatic weapon, you'd just see blood splatter all over the place. Exactly. And he'd be he would probably not be here, Bambi. That's true. Or Bambi. And
0: and Disney would have invested in a lot of red paint. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So yeah. And, and Yeah. Bambi is Bambi's Bambi's a great social commentary, I think.
1: I, I agree. <laughs> Very much so.
0: <laughs> and he and his first word was bird.
1: Bart, Bird, yeah, Bird. Bird. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so so what they're a- making they're making illegal things, right? bombs, grenades, yes, uh, they're 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 altering guns to make them automatic. mm-hmm. And okay. there's a
0: deputy there, Weinberg, and he asked the Weinberg. ATF to investigate because the residents of the compound were constructing what appeared to be a cinder block structure that was a range and bunker. And he'd also heard about the school bus underground being a range and bunker, and (laughs) he was pretty sure they were stockpiling arms and other weapons.
1: Well, I mean, given the other evidence, I would have to agree with him. Yeah, that's
0: almost a duh
1: statement. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So a Waco Tribune-Herald reporter publishes the article on Koresh's 1988
1: trial for the attempted murder. Right. Okay, so that one I wanted to jump in here. Sure. We discussed we discussed the details of this on the part 1. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to say it wasn't just the Waco Tribune in 1992-93, pu- sorry. On in ninety two, ninety three, publishing about that Rodenville 8 mm-hmm. um, because every article, Washington Post, LA Times, all those articles I found mm-hmm. were all from this exact time period, because nobody covered it until this happened, right. which is very strange. But so
0: they didn't. It didn't make national news. the The 1988 incident didn't make national news until the the 93 incident was in it. was national news. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they went back to find. They went back to look at the history of the cult and the history. Of the cult is weird and twisted. And so definitely, go check that out. Home on the street. Yeah, no. <laughs> Part one. That's Part a, one. Yes. <laughs> Okay, All so right. so there was a female member of the cult who was talking to the ATF. She said that this was after. She said that Howell Vernon Howell, which is David Koresh, had fathered mm-hmm. at least fifteen children from various women and young girls at the compound. Now she was a nurse, and she said, "Do we know? Do we know her name?
1: We they never announced it. We no, we don't have it." Actually, uh, I wouldn't, I don't blame her. I'm wanting to say anonymous. <laughs> right. So, and She said some of the girls who had
0: babies fathered by Hal were as young as 12 years old. And she had personally uh, delivered seven of
1: those children. Ugh. so Gross. Yes. My kid's nine. Mm-hmm. That's three years. Yeah, no. Three years. Mm-mm.
0: <laughs> Mm-mm.
1: No. no. Of course, his mother
0: was only 15 <laughs> when she got pregnant.
1: Yeah, but uh, uh, we did kind of talk about this. There's like a cycle, like there's a cycle of what's okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not, not to alienate listeners, but it's not like the church steers people away from young girls of that age. Yeah, especially that
0: particular branch of the church.
1: Yes. Um, I'm just putting that out there. It's a fact. (laughs) Prove me wrong. I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: but <laughs> you know. So when the yeah. ATF started investigating, they they went back and looked at records of of companies that had sent out arms materials to the to the um there I go with my not being able to get words who sent the arms and ammunition to the compound.
1: Oh, basically suppliers. Right.
0: Okay. And they got those. Probably got those records. They probably got some of them from the UPS.
1: I I would almost bet. I would hope so. <laughs> um, if UPS isn't giving over those shipping records, I'd be highly upset. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> considering what the driver found.
0: So what they had found through their investigation was they had at least 136 firearms, including assault rifles and handguns, mm-hmm. and they had over 700 magazines for those firearms. They had 200,000 rounds or more of ammunition. Mm -hmm. They had 110 upper and lower receivers for the AR and M16 rifles.
1: Oh, I see. I don't know what these rifles
0: are. They are are machine guns. That's what they are. Okay. AR-15
1: and M16, you said? Right.
0: Okay, go ahead. And and then grenade launcher attachments that you could put on those rifles, on those Mm -hmm. machine guns. Oh, wait, they can shoot grenades? <laughs> yes, grenade launchers. Dude. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and there was crazy. also at least 400 empty M31 rifle grenades that they were filling with black powder and other explosive oh. chemicals to make them live.
1: So they potentially had 400 plus grenades. Correct. <laughs> That's right. So these oh. people were not were
0: not just preparing to hunt.
1: No, and I mean, like, that sounds like not just defensive. That sounds like offensive. It does. It's, and they well. were
0: training their people to shoot these weapons. Um, they were training Off- even their... Offensively? People. Yes. Oh. And um, frequently. Mm-hmm. And the, the children, one of the children said when he was interviewed by the CPS lady, he said, I can't wait till I'm a grown man. And she said, why is that? He said, because then I'll get a long gun. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, if I have it here, I think he was eight or nine. So, yeah, it was definitely ingrained in the culture of the group.
1: Well, I mean, my kid's nine and she's got like a BB gun, mm-hmm. but it's a BB gun. <laughs> well, shoot your eye out.
0: Well, I mean, we, she has glasses and stuff. Well, well, so did so did he. So did Ralphie. But I
1: would hope, hope so. But, I mean, so like safety shooting glasses. That's
0: right. <laughs> And they got this okay. information from interviews with former cult members. And uh-huh. they also went and checked the registers of the federal firearms dealers, the people that sold the guns. They had to keep records. Mm-hmm. Um, and they reviewed the documentation of the large quantities of the machine guns and ammunition and grenades.
1: Right. The inert grenades. Right. Because then they'd be breaking postal laws, too, if they were live grenades. Right. But they were. But they can, that's, they can make them live grenades, but shipping them, they're it. Right. They were shipping empty grenades and black powder to fill them. Okay. Also, I wanted to say this: I've researched a lot of cults, and there's always cult members that snitch, and you'd think they'd <laughs> get better at this, but <laughs> that's, uh, I don't know. That's true. Well, in oh. June of 1992,
0: they started to talk about the account with within the ATF about the investigation. Uh And one of the things they looked at was Koresh's alleged attempt for which he was tried um, to kill George Roden, the former leader and son of the compound's founders, which you can hear about in part one. It's really Mm -hmm. weird. (laughs) They shot Mm -hmm. enough holes in the tree that you could have pushed it over with a feather. Mm -hmm. And then also, let's see. I'm sorry. Purchases of mm-hmm. firearm components and materials used to make explosives and they 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 found out that neither Koresh or any of his followers were licensed firearm, federal firearms dealers or manufacturers. So the fact that they were getting these weapons and altering them um, was illegal in itself. They didn't even right. have to use them.
1: Well, they didn't just go to a gun show.
0: <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah, really. I'm so upset about the that. <laughs> and gun
0: shows. Yeah, they're so fun.
1: Oh well, I mean, they're fun. I just don't like the fact that I don't know i'm I'm real bad about like i I really want gun reform in a big the big loophole at what closes these gun shows, but yeah, I not not that i I love guns. I shoot guns. Mm-hmm. I love them. My husband shoots them and loves them. Our child has a gun mm-hmm. now granted it's a BB gun, but it's still a gun, yes, okay we love guns. It's culture here in Texas. Mm-hmm. We don't like the idea that anybody and their freaking grandma can go buy a gun without a background check. Right.
0: And then grandma can go out and s- with her gun in the open and say, "I felt
1: threatened so I killed him." Exactly. Like there's so many <sighs> I I want people to have their guns, but I think we need to be common sense about it. Mm-hmm. And Gun shows are a big part of that problem. Well, gun shows
0: are part of that problem. There's people, people with mental illness, when they're ready to commit suicide, you know, they can have pills, they can take poison, they
1: can sit in a car, but they can change their mind. Yeah, guns is a one and done deal. Exactly. Um, The other thing too is that gun shows are like this huge haven for white nationalists. That's true. That you'll see KKK there. You'll see. You'll see a lot of Proud Boys stuff. You'll see all kinds of things. And so of course the NRA. Yeah. Well, the NRA <laughs> is its own thing. But. <laughs> well okay. Yes, they are. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Meanwhile, back so, at the ranch. Yeah. <laughs> uh so they're not they're not licensed for dealers or manufacturers, so they're they're in trouble for altering these guns. Right. Okay. Besides just having so many of them. Now, when they started
0: to send the compliance officers out, one of, the, one of them went to Hewitt Handguns, for example, who had sold 36 firearms to Vernon Howell. Now, is, you, don't
1: think, you don't
0: think that that would throw up a flag in their own system? Well, the thing is, a Hewitt Handguns was a business that made money by doing that.
1: Mm, so bulk order. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And they
0: also sold to other known Koresh followers. Vernon Howell and David Koresh are the same person, in case you're confused.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he changed his name in like 90. So that he, Okay, so the reason you'll see it reported as both throughout both episodes, uh, mine and uh, Katie's, is because when he changed his name, those close to him still called him Vernon. So even in interviews you'll still see him referred to as Vernon. Really, it was just the media that called him David Koresh because that's how he would tell him his name to the media because it set uh, something to do about the house of David and some Persian king in the Bible. Um, but basically, it was just for publicity standards because Vernon Howell doesn't sound authoritative. David Koresh does. Yes, so. and, and it's
0: more religious, David, than Vernon. Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> I don't remember Vernon in the Bible. I could be wrong. No.
1: The Book of Vernon? Yes. I'd read it. I'd
0: read it. (laughs) It's some interesting reading. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They also interviewed some neighbors at the compound, and they reported there was frequent spurts of weapon fire and that there were discharging semi-automatic weapons. And a deputy sheriff and neighbors heard explosions out there because they were using explosives. And, of course, none of them were licensed or permitted to use them. So, well,
1: why weren't they on the phone with the cops every day? Well, because I mean the deputies reported it. They're out in the country,
0: <laughs> and you know, the neighbors weren't that close. And and that's one of the reasons that the that the newspaper was so upset that the police weren't doing anything because all this was going on and everybody knew it. But nobody was doing anything about it.
1: I oh <laughs> This okay. I'm starting to get upset now. Okay. So am I. Okay. Before we continue, how much more
0: angry am I going (laughs) to (laughs) be? This is the cluster of the greatest magnitude. Okay. This and I have to. And this is going to sound sexist, but there was a lot of penises involved in this. Uh, that's not sexist, that's the truth. Um. <laughs> there was a lot of turf <laughs> problems. There was a lot of, mm-hmm. I'm a man, and so I have to be in control, and I have to, you know, and and...
1: Well, it's it's because of incidents like this that police departments work together now as well as they do, because back in the day, it was all about territory because you got funding based on big cases you closed. So nobody wanted to help other departments. Mm -hmm. Now we saw the same funding thing, but because of public outcry, they have to work together.
0: And it took blowing up the World Trade Center to do that.
1: Yep, exactly. So anyway, um, so I'm going to be very angry and probably yelling into the void during this episode. That's just uh, Because noted. I certainly don't blame you. Noted. So All right.
0: the reporter called Bill Johnson to ask what constitutes an illegal fire, firearm. I think I oh just did this. And did you? <laughs> and Johnson notifies the ATF that the newspaper's working on a story. In no- okay.
1: In November of that year, so he's like, I'm not asking for myself. I'm a reporter. Don't arrest me. <laughs> right. Well, basically he's, kind of saying, like- he's saying, hey, ATF,
0: this is going on and they're getting ready to do a story about it. So you might want to know what's going on.
1: Yeah, well, that makes sense because, like, I mean, if the FBI ever approached me about my search history, first thing I'd say is I re- i do research for a show. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> you know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just, FBI, if you're listening, I'm not a serial killer. I promise. No, <laughs> although she did talk about serial
0: companies in the last show.
1: I did. Grape nuts.
0: Yes, <laughs> and, and corn flakes. That's right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so you could
1: actually be a serial killer. Mm. Yes. And, and I actually had cinnamon life earlier. So it was delicious. I drink it with coconut milk. Yeah. So tasty too. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So, okay. So so when the FBI, when the ATS finally starts in November, they start gaining insight into Crusher's control over his residence because it was a cult. It was a religious cult.
1: And yeah, they, they weren't just followers. Like, he he actually had sway over these people. Right. There was a like lot of livelihood. mind control. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And they also told the ATF that he was engaging in sexual activities with all the female members, no matter how mm. old they were, and that he was sexually and physically abusing children.
1: Mm.
0: And And that's where we talked about... That it's, it was reported that it was possible, allegedly, that a child as young as eight months had been beaten. Right. So, in December 1992, the ATF guy in um, Austin interviews a couple who recently escaped the cult, and they confirm that they have all the weapons that they saw, and that there was they had participated in shooting exercises. Mm -hmm. and koresh directed that there be armed guards on duty at that compound 24 hours a day so there was always somebody out there with a gun ready to defend it and they felt they needed to be defended right because of reasons stated in part one right so okay go back to home on the strange and listen to part (laughs) okay okay shameless plugging i know (laughs) <laughs> i don't mind that's right i just don't want to keep interrupting your show with it but it's okay this is basically okay. a, a chronological list of what happened okay all right right, right so right. they he they also found out that david koresh always had a loaded weapon on him always sleep awake Whoa. he always had it weird okay and he was preparing a hit list of former members that were speaking <gasps> to the media and the law enforcement yeah
1: Oh, my God. So he was, Why aren't these people in protective custody?
0: <laughs>
1: well, oh, yeah, oh. I
0: know. It's like, but once again, this was so, the, the response to this was so disjointed. And mm-hmm. so, I don't know how to explain it. It's like they were so super sure of themselves that they just assumed some of these, some of these things would take care of themselves.
1: They're overconfident. Yeah. They're cocky. They're... They're high and mighty. Yeah, some of them were, yes. Uh, okay. So,
0: so, so the so the ATF guy, his name is Aguilera. He contacts okay. the Texas Department of Protective Services, and they tell him what they saw, that they were pre- preparing for an armed struggle. Okay. Caresh had told the caseworker, "My time is coming. When I reveal myself as a messenger, and my time comes, what happens will make the L.A. riots pale in comparison."
1: Now, like, when he says revealing himself as the messenger, mm-hmm. so he's saying he's the messiah? Yes. And, like, but his followers already believed this. He's talking about publicly? Yes. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But, man, he's saying that the L.A. riots are going small potatoes? Yep. That's, oh, okay. <laughs> so, Good job, Koresh. Yeah. So, in January,
0: Egler does a background check on all the current residents, and he finds out there are 75 adults there, and several had been arrested, convicted, or were under investigation for crimes that ranged from fraud to smuggling to narcotics offenses.
1: <laughs>
0: Forty of the residents were foreign nationals, uh, some of which were illegal aliens who were not allowed to possess firearms by law. Right? Yeah, Felons right. and, and illegal, illegals cannot do that. Right. So they had a lot of information there that there was
1: a, a lot of bad stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So he contacted, and it's all like it's all like technical bullcrap so far too. Yeah, because like there's nothing saying you can't own the amount of weapons that they had. It was who had access to those weapons and the modifications made to those weapons, which are very technical aspects of those laws. Mm-hmm. Like if if it if it wasn't for illegal immigrants or illegal aliens or you know whatever mm-hmm. uh, undocumented people, right? So okay. like if it wasn't for them. And if it wasn't for the modifications being done, and if it wasn't for the bombs and grenades, they could have gotten away with this.
0: Right. There was no law that said they couldn't have legal weapons.
1: Right. Which is still scary. It is still
0: scary to have (sighs) that many legal weapons.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Because they could have— Because, I mean, like like right now, like total population of gun owners, like gun owners in America, like I think it's like 1% or 2% of that population own the world's majority of guns. Right. Because they amassed them in these numbers? That's right. And most of them are
0: probably not collectors with that many of them.
1: Mm, no, you're hoarding them for yes. a reason. Okay, so, so wanna...
0: Egler Ag- gets uh-huh. technical assistance from firearms experts at the ATF.
1: That would be a good deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that, they, that makes
0: sense. And they develop plans for serving warrants and tactical planning as aspects of the investigation. So they're starting to think about what they're going to do to take care of the situation.
1: Okay. So basically what that means is these people have guns. They're obviously dangerous because you don't do these types of modifications or make these bombs without wanting to hurt someone. Mm-hmm. So we're planning how to get in there and serve this warrant. Right. Is what he's doing right now exactly. So that's what the ATF is up to. Several. So this is where this is where it starts to kind of fall apart for them. Then.
0: Well. <laughs> <laughs> just just being there, mm. yeah. No, well, okay. you know, the ATF was trying to do what they thought was right, and and there was definitely laws being broken. The breakdown came in the in the planning and the assumptions that R- they made.
1: Okay, so this is where it does start to kind of fall apart for them. Well,
0: sort of. This, And it's just right at the beginning.
1: <laughs> it's still right. falling apart. So several oh, goodness.
0: several former cult members note the distinct possibility to the ATF that Koresh might respond to a siege by leading his followers in a mass suicide,
1: Ooh. which had happened
0: oh. with Jim Jones.
1: Right. I mean, like every cult up till then, really. In Guyana, yeah.
0: They all drank the Kool-Aid. That's where that like, phrase came from.
1: Joe's Jonestown Heaven's Gate, I think, happened right before this Mm -hmm. um, or right after After, this, Yeah. Uh, then, I mean, you got to look at, uh, I mean, almost all the cults up till this point had mass suicide. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Right. They talked to one child um, who said
0: that she had been taught how to commit suicide. So that kind of reinforced that whole idea. Yeah. Can you imagine that?
1: Do you know how old she was? No,
0: I don't. But as a oh. child, I would assume she was 12 years old or, or less. Right. hmm Okay. And then the Waco Tribune <clears throat> Herald folks, the reporters draft the Sinful Messiah series of articles and submit them to their editors.
1: Okay. So those are those big ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then an
0: escapee from the compound, and that's in quotes, reports uh-huh. that on the devastating arsenal Koresh was amassing, he reports seeing at least one high-caliber weapon, either a 50 caliber rifle mounted on a bipod or a British boys 52 caliber anti-tank rifle. And he heard other stories of other stuff that was stored on the premises. So the ATF changes the operation from case building to enforcement.
1: Oh, the boy. Okay, so the boy's anti-tank rifle. For those that don't know, mm-hmm. when you think about those those guns, like in the old movies, where like like World War Two and stuff, where they that has like the little arm that swings down, mm-hmm. so it sits on the ground, and it's like that big gun where it looks like a mushroom on the end because it's got a big, you know, thing on the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're talking like huge bullets, like. Probably about as big as long as, from my index finger to my wrist. Right, like the 50 huge. and
0: 52 caliber
1: um, mm.
0: bullets are yeah,
1: that big. They're ginormous. They're huge. I mean, they've. Got, I mean, they're anti-tank guns, so like they have to be able to go through metal, like layers and layers mm-hmm. of hardcore metal. So I mean, imagine if that hit a person. Yeah, or, it doesn't leave. I a mean, lot. that would rip you in half. Mm-hmm. These are huge guns. There's no reason why civilians should have these guns, period. Yes, (laughs) I agree. So on (laughs) January
0: 11th, the ATF goes across the street from the compound to an empty house, and they start Mm -hmm. living in there undercover. So we've got ATF agents that are like right across the road from the compound, and they're, they're over there pretending to be... They're pretending to be students at the local college, but they're like in their 30s and 40s.
1: Yeah. And like from what I researched, Koresh pretty much knew immediately who they were. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Cause... it wasn't a small town because was a hundred
0: some thousand people in it. But, but that it was a area small town. Of town. Yeah.
1: That area of town was rural and small. Mm-hmm. And everybody so... knew what was going on. I mean, you know, Yeah <laughs> I mean, let, let's just say the ATF didn't think that went through very well.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, they they didn't realize, I guess, that when you're out in the country, people talk about each other all the time.
1: <laughs> well, Not only that, I mean, if if they were trying to be sneaky, which it seems like they were, they had aliases, yep. get someone of the age group yeah, and actually enroll be... at the college. Right. Because didn't they have teachers living there? Yeah. And and he, yeah, and he
0: and they weren't enrolled at the college at all. So what they were saying and what was obviously happening were different. And so, okay. yeah, I think Koresh had a pretty good idea what was going on. One of the guys there went over there a lot and participated in and acted like he was wanted to be part of the religion and the cult. And he went over right, there
1: like the, the inside man, right? Whatever.
0: Yeah. He went over there pretty frequently. He listened to a lot of those long sermons.
1: Yeah. I think that's where they got a lot of the transcripts for his sermons too. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's about the time. Um, again, episode one, I'm sorry guys. Part one. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but like we talk about like how long these sermons were and what he was talking about. And I remember talking like 12 to 18 hour long sermons and he's all talking about how he's the lamb of God and how they need to be prepared for the end time because the, the, the world's going to come to their front door and try to kill them. And And that
0: uh, that actually happens.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So
0: this agent, he's his, he's assigned to find opportunities to go over there and talk to the residents, you know, talk to Koresh and everything else. In January 27th, because this is we're, it's about a month before the siege started. The ag- okay. Yeah. Oh, I already did that. No. January no. 27th, tactical planners mm-hmm. meet with the agents from the undercover house, and okay. they they talk about the option of a siege, and they reject it because compound residents could withstand it, and the danger of mass suicide was a distinct possibility. So they decided they didn't want to like come in and then wait them out because they had the guns, they had MREs. That was another report that they had, they had plenty of food and and they had a a well inside the property. Mm
1: -hmm. So they
0: could stay there for a long time.
1: So before the siege happened, they didn't want to siege because of what happened. Right. Or Because of what would eventually happen anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. They thought that, yeah.
0: Well, like I said, not all the choices they made seem to be the best ones.
1: But that's, well, see, that's like for, that's for Monday me, morning quarterbacking too, but For me, like I would love to be a fly on the wall because it's like I mean, like look like you said, it's 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 Monday morning quarterbacking or, you know, hindsight 2020 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like like looking at it now, it's like y'all are fucking dumb. But like, you know, then <laughs> yeah, they, they thought- had never they had never had this kind of standoff before like with the amount like Ruby Ridge was one thing but this is to like 10 times that. Well, and I feel like they no. felt
0: like they could they could go up to the door and serve the warrant and grab the guy and leave and it would be over. That's that seems That's to be That's what they wanted right. because
1: Ruby Ridge was so
0: embarrassing. Well, and it's the ATF and not the FBI. So cuz mm. FBI Oh, is, they
1: wanted to outdo the FBI. Yeah.
0: Well, they mm-hmm. thought they could do a better job, maybe. I don't know. But, it, yeah, it seems in hindsight that they weren't thinking right. So this guy who's in the house across the street, he goes over and he talks to Koresh and other people, goes to the Bible studies. And then Koresh invites him out to shoot. And he of sees <laughs> what, all this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, on February the 1st, the ATF asked the
1: the Waco Herald Tribune, who's doing the
0: now, sinful I, Go. I'm
1: so sorry to interrupt. So not only did Kresh invite him out to shoot, mm-hmm. um, like okay, so this guy still thinks he's undercover, whatever. Mm-hmm. Kresh knows full well who he is, and he's like, "Yeah, come shoot with us. Let's see what happens," kind <laughs> yeah. of thing.
0: Well, I'm not positive he knew because this guy went in until like immediately before the siege. So
1: everything I read, he Kresh knew who this was. <laughs> well, that, that so. yeah, it, it, I don't see how he couldn't actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but cops act a certain way. <laughs> some of so... them, yeah. Some of them you can definitely tell they're cops. Cause... Plus, I mean, it was obvious, like, based on where they, like, we had just talked about, like, where they were staying. Mm-hmm. It didn't make any sense that these were college students. So who else would they be? <laughs> That's you know? Right. <laughs> So on February 1st, the
0: ATF asked the Waco Herald Tribune to to hold the story, The Sinful Messiah, and not publish it. And in exchange, they offer, and these are their exact words, front row seats to the raid.
1: Oh, my God. Oh now, that tells God. me God. that they
0: think that this raid is going to be something to observe and entertain.
1: Yeah, okay. So th- not only that. So, one, it's entertainment. 2 they think this is going to go so smoothly cuz they're cocky. Mm-hmm. 3 they're making light of a situ- of a very serious situation cuz they're it's almost like a minimization of how much trouble these people should really be in mm-hmm. for what they're doing and how scary it really is. So. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's the nature
0: of the nature of those folks to not want to be seen as scared, of course. Mm-hmm. So and and I don't think they were really thinking about it, like you said, not not thinking about that at all. So mm-hmm. on, on the February second was the date that they told the paper that they were going to do the raid, and they had been unable to get Koresh out of the compound. Now mm-hmm. I was okay. I I know the emergency manager that was down there at the time, and I
1: I have thoughts on this too. <laughs> and he said the guy used to jog hmm. Outside. That's what that's what my research said. He jogged. He'd answer the door for anybody. Mm-hmm. He would personally meet people if they asked for him. Mm-hmm. He was constantly out working on the property with his followers. He was going to town like there's no reason. No reason. Yeah.
0: At, but for some reason, they didn't seem to be able to find that any of those things couldn't. And I think at that time when they moved in across the street, he probably stopped going out.
1: Well, but, I mean, that doesn't make any sense, though, because, like, because, like, he knew who they were, and Koresh being who he was, he was almost too open with authorities because he wanted nothing, you know, he didn't want to have any problems, right? Right. So it doesn't make sense that he would just stop being available.
0: Except for that he wanted this siege to come on because it was one of mm. the seven seals. Right, that's true. So, yeah. And he didn't want to get in trouble for child abuse either, so.
1: Well, who would? <laughs> I
0: really. So, okay. they can't get him out of the compound. Uh, they can't think uh. of a way to get him out of the compound. So, on February 26th, the World Train Center is bombed. They put a bomb in the... Uh,
1: yeah, this was the first one, not not September 11th. Right. they put is a like bomb in the parking the area van, and blew it the up. The van one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that
0: couldn't have had any good effect on law enforcement. I'm mm-hmm. sure that that might have made them a little nervous or maybe a little, I'm you know, revengeful or something like that. And it couldn't have been good for their thought processes because mm-hmm. that was a big, it was a it caused a lot of damage, and it killed several. I don't know how many it killed, but it killed a handful of people, I think, at least. Okay. But it actually blew out below the parking lot, below the parking garage, into the train tunnel underneath.
1: Right. So it was a big bomb. Right. Um Like, not... Not as big as Oklahoma City, obviously, but it was the same idea. Like they they rigged up a van and they parked it down there. Mm -hmm. And wasn't it something like there was like an air pressure thing. And because of one difference, like it didn't have the effect it was supposed to have. And so it went into the train tunnel rather than into the building. Yeah, it went down instead of up. Mm -hmm. They were trying to blow the
0: supports out from under the building is what they were trying to do. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. So that happens on the 26th. 26th, Thank you. Uh huh. So the Waco Herald, Herald. Tribune,
1: they uh-huh. decide
0: that they've—it's past the twenty-second. It's the twenty-seventh, and so they're just going to go ahead and publish the article. They don't tell the ATF because they don't feel like they have to because well, they waited. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> they waited as long as they said, and they didn't do what they said, so they're just going to go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. So they publish it, and. Yep. Uh, and it's a very damning series of articles about Branch Davidian and David Koresh in particular. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. And so the ATF is going to have to do something. So on the very next day, they begin the assault. Oh. And like we said, they did everything the anti-government preppers believe the government will do to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, so they've been preparing but at 4:38 a.m., the leaders arrive in mm-hmm. Waco,
1: like the the big wigs, the ones calling
0: the shots. That's right. They come in at okay. 4:30 and they start setting up. At 7:30 a.m., the tactical teams come in from the to the Bellmead Civic Center area. It's it's the staging area at the Civic Center that they set up in Waco.
1: Now, how how far is the Bellmead Civic Center from Mount Carmel? It is uh, just a few miles. All right. Hold on. I'm Googling it. Go ahead. I'm listening.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So they're at the Bellmead Center and, and it's 730 in the morning and the agents are out there walking around the parking lot and directing traffic and they're wearing their tactical gear with ATF written on it in great big letters. Oh, great. And there's also other law enforcement people walking around in their raid gear. Uh huh. And so... At seven thirty in the morning, you look outside and you see all these cops out there, and you think, "Oh, there's nothing going to happen here. There's nothing going on at all." Uh huh. But that's not true. But that was part of the reason that David Koresh knew what was coming because they were just so obvious about it.
1: Right. I mean, like you've got you've literally got a bi- basically a big neon sign saying, "Hey, right here, we're here." Yeah. <laughs> and then. Um, there was a woman that worked for the ambulance
0: service, because they, they went ahead and said we need you to bring in the care flight
1: from um, from Fort Hood, I believe. And oh, and I did find um, Belmead Civic Center. Depending on the route you take, is between 10.1 and nine miles from the Mount Carmel. So
0: a very short drive.
1: Yeah, 18 to 21 minutes.
0: The care flight medical evacuation helicopter was contacted by the ATF and a medic with the ambulance service tells someone that CareFlight is on site and there's some sort of raid coming. Okay. Okay. Seven 15 minutes later, the teams are taken to the locations on neighboring ranch properties that adjoin the Davidian compound. So they're on their neighbor's property, getting ready uh, to come in.
1: I don't think the neighbors were happy about this. <laughs> well, I don't this is Texas and nobody goes on nobody's property in Texas. Yeah. Especially if you're going to take guns away from people. Well, not to, yeah, anybody in the government, especially. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the agents at the
0: undercover house across the street are observing the compound for unusual activity at 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And un- the unarmed undercover agent, the one that's been going over there and talking to David Koresh, he goes into the Branch Davidian compound to meet with Koresh at 745 in the morning.
1: I go, hey, I, I know these guys in uniform are all over your property, but I'm not with them. I yeah, promise. no, I just <laughs>
0: wanted to come over, see what's going on, attend the service, and then, you know.
1: Oh, my goodness. Hey, did you see all these ATF guys? I'm yeah, not one of them. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we
0: know they're out there. We, we're ready for them.
1: So,
0: <laughs> and <Okay>. they are.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, that covers pretty much everything that led up to the actual siege when the ATF went, comes up to the door and knocks. So uh, as you can see, it was kind of confusing and there was a lot of stuff going on in the background and uh, and the people there in the area, they they saw everything happen. So, so they knew there was things going on. Mm-hmm. And so we'll save the rest of it for our next episode. So thanks, Lindsay. And um, you can contact me at kate at disastertales.com and uh, you can contact Lindsay at
1: we're on twitter at home strange pod um you can see us uh we're on apple podcast spotify iheart radio pretty much every major podcast platform if you like a certain platform we're probably there uh we also have a email if you want to leave us a message or leave us a short little paranormal story if you have any experiences it's or home on the strange sorry Home on the strange pod at gmail.com.
0: Okay, that's good. Home on the strange pod, remember yeah. that, at gmail. So thanks, and I'll talk to you during our next episode.
1: All right. All right. Well, I can't wait. <laughs> thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> yep.
0: Because it's August 2019, today's disaster tip has to do with active shooters. First of all, be aware of your surroundings. If you're in a building or out in the open, Look and see where the exits are and where there are places where you could take shelter. If you hear shots or you hear there's an active shooter, choice one is to run away, choice two is to hide, and choice three, the very last thing you wanna do is attack the shooter. And that's how you handle an active shooter.